0: i turn throw the Bibles to Psalm 129. Again, we're still looking at these 15 songs. These are the called the Songs of Ascent. There's 15 of them in the book of Psalms. And these are the songs they would have sung on their way to church as they were climbing up the mountain towards Mount Zion, toward the Temple of Jerusalem, on the way up the mountain, as all the community is coming together and they're all marching up there, these are the songs they would have sung. Little children would have known them. They would have been memorized and known by heart. And this is what they would have been singing about. The point of this psalm, let me just kind of give it to you before we read it even, is that the righteous suffer, and yet they are safe. But the wicked Thrive, and yet they're destroyed, and that's our basically our two points. And so uh, let's let's read it. Look at verse one with me, Psalm one point nine. Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel say, many times they have afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. The flowers plowed on my back; they make furrows long. The Lord is righteous. He has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. Let all those that hate Zion be put to shame and turned back. Let them be as the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor he who binds sheaves his arms. Neither let those who pass by them say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. So it kind of starts in verse one and two talking about affliction and we've studied that word before and defined that word before. It's a, it's an extreme amount of suffering. It's a heavy weight on your life, something you're going through. It could be the death of somebody you love. It could be sickness. It could be somebody accusing you or coming after you. There's all kinds of afflictions. There's all kinds of suffering. And I often like this, make this statement, your suffering is your suffering. I mean, it's not to be compared with everybody else's because what's hurting you is hurting you and what's causing you to feel like you're suffering is causing you to feel like you're suffering and so the bible talks a lot about suffering or affliction in this in this context and what this song is about in verse one he says they have afflicted me since my youth in other words since i was very young there's been this affliction in my life And now at the end of verse 1, he says, let all Israel say. And so it's like the song leader would have uh, sung this out first. They've afflicted me since I was young. And then he would have said, let the whole congregation sing. And then everybody would have resounded back. We had a a couple of psalms back that did this similar thing to this. And then everybody would have together say, many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. And so... The, the point is that there is suffering in their life since they were very young. And we need to be aware of that. Every person here needs to know that suffering is real. And just because we're Christians and just because we go to church does not mean we will not suffer. You will suffer. Uh, there's Let me give you two illustrations of Paul where he speaks of his own suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, We are pressed on hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carried about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. And, and the point is, everybody gets hard-pressed. Everybody gets crushed. Everybody gets beat down. But the Christian is able to go through it with the help of the Lord. The Christian is able to endure with the help of the Lord. Also, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 18. Therefore, do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Not only the illustrations in the Bible about Paul suffering, but there's also a a host of people in our day, maybe as much or more than ever, of people who are being abused in these days. I spoke with a mom this week, or a wife this week, who's who's in an abusive relationship, and she's going through abuse. It It would break your heart if I had liberty to tell you the details of the story. There are young people who are being abused. There may be somebody here who's had some sort of traumatic abuse in your life it's becoming more and more common i don't say it's becoming more common to negate the hurt of it or the suffering of it i say it's becoming more common because i want us to realize it's happening to more and more of those even among us and so to know that you are going to be persecuted because you follow jesus you will Suffer. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 1 Peter 3:14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And then a great passage about suffering like this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 19. Beloved, do not think it strange But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evil doer or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator, you will suffer if you follow Jesus suffering will come but the Bible even speaks about in that suffering it is a component of the grace of God we preach a lot of grace here and we talk about define grace as the favor of God the, the pleasure of God upon your life and so wrongly Americans today when they suffer the first question they say is, is God mad at me? And that's wrong, and that's not biblical. The Bible actually teaches that as a component of grace, as a component of God's favor upon your life, that when you suffer, God will be with you, and God will be closer to you than ever before. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Jesus Christ. Listen to this two form, this is a whole message in this one verse, Philippians 1.29. It has been granted to you, the word granted there is a word that could be translated as grace. It is a grace gift, you could say, on behalf of Jesus. Two things, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Have you ever thought about that being the gospel? There's a summation of the gospel in that verse. Jesus loves you. His favor is upon your life. And here's what you get. You get to believe in Him and believe He is the Savior of your life and forgives you of your sin. And you also get to suffer for His sake. And so your suffering is different than the world's suffering. Their suffering is just hurtful and painful and harmful and destroying their life. Your suffering, remember those verses we read just a moment ago, it is your dying and as you are dying, you're dying in all the ways that are not like Christ and as you continue to live you're living in all the ways that are like Christ your suffering is a picture of Jesus to those who are watching you suffer and so it has been granted by grace that you get to believe in Jesus and you get to suffer for His sake Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 that I may know the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death three points I get to know the power of His resurrection. The same supernatural power that raised Jesus from the dead. I'm going to experience that kind of God power working in my life. How? Through the fellowship of His sufferings. By joining with Him in suffering and being conformed to the likeness of His death. It's a picture of baptism there. You are baptized, you die to self, you go under the water, and then you... Arise out of the water. You're resurrected with a new life in Jesus Christ. And then one more. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul said this then, Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Because what Paul had learned is this last statement, For when I am weak, then I am strong. He had learned that suffering and these things he goes through, whether they're infirmities or reproaches or a need he has or a persecution against him or a distress he's in, he had learned in all these things that as soon as he begins to go through that depth of hardship, instantly the power of God comes to him. That verse in 1 Peter I just read. The Spirit of God, it said, it rests on you. This is picture of the Spirit coming in like a dove, like it did Jesus, and settling on your shoulder. The Spirit then rests on you, and you see God's power working in your life more than ever before in this season of suffering where God's literally carrying you and you learn to be so dependent on God's presence there in your suffering that you realize this, wow, when I'm weak, that's when God shows up and I'm really strong. You then declare, then I might even look forward to suffering, to persecution, to hardship, to difficulties because I've realized as I've grown in as a Christian, the more I am weak, the stronger I really am because Jesus shows up and He carries me. Church of today. That's what this old world needs to see. That's the kind of Christian we must be. We cannot be a whiny, whippy, meaty-mouthed little Christian who just crumbles under all of their hardship and, and just says, God, do you love me anymore? God, do you are you there for me anymore? He's proven He loves you. He's proven He's there for you when Jesus went to the cross and died in your place. So stop being surprised when you suffer and stop thinking, is God against you when you suffer? Know that He's for you and His grace is there and as a matter of fact, you'll never know God's love for you more and His grace for you more than you will during that season of suffering. And so look back at verse 1 and 2 again. Then he says, many a time have they afflicted me. But look at the end of verse 2. Verse 2. And I ask you to underline this phrase yet they have not prevailed against me many times have they afflicted me they repeat it two times yet they have not prevailed against me and so they ultimately did not win there are seasons in your life when somebody comes against you or something comes against you and you don't think you're going to make it you're going to make it you're going to make it and they will not prevail against you Look at verse 3. The plowers have plowed on my back. They have made their furrows long. This is a farming illustration. But if you want to write a little note outside verses 3 and 4 in your Bible, uh, the, the key to understanding verses 3 and 4 is slavery. If you want to make that note, just write the word slavery. The words plowers have plowed on my back is a fir- farming illustration about plowing the field and if you know anything about you have a disc and you have a plow and you have different implements that go today on a tractor but the one that goes the deepest into the soil is the plow it goes really deep as much as 10 12 13 inches deep into the soil and it takes that soil that's on the bottom and literally just flips it upside down it is the deepest trench that you ever cut into the garden or into the soil is the plow trench and the reason slavery helps you understand this is because verse 3 is talking about your back. Look what it says, the plower has plowed my back. They have made their furrows long. It's a picture of a slave being whipped. It's a picture of going under such depth of captivity where some other human being believes they can whip you with a whip and cut lashes, deep lashes, deep into your back. Look at verse 4. The Lord is righteous. He has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. So now it talks about him cutting to pieces these cords. And go back to the slavery imagery. It's the cords that have bound your hands, the cords that have held you captive. It says, The Lord has cut in pieces these cords. So you could write out beside verse 4 The Lord has set me free. He has broken these pieces that once bound your hands and made you a slave. To something. So I just want to make another point here before we leave verses one through four. He's saying, I have been afflicted since I was young. In the verse two, yet they have not prevailed against me. And then the beginning of verse four, the Lord is righteous. Do you see that? The Lord is righteous. He has broke my bondage, cut these chains, cut these cords. And it's almost like the here's the singer, and he's looking back to a season of suffering. And he begins to think about how much he suffered. And he sings out, I've been hurting since I was young. And the moment he goes there, it's as if he says, comes to himself, and he says, Yet it did not prevail over me. He's looking backward. I was hurting since I was young. Verse 2, yet it did not prevail over me. And then verse 4, the Lord is righteous. He has set me free. So his looking backward at all the suffering and hardship since he was young caused him to declare out, to, to declare in song, it has not prevailed over me and my God has proven himself righteous. What does that mean? He's right. He's perfect. He knows what he's doing. God has proven himself righteous. How? Because he has set me free. I'm no longer in the bondage that I once was in. Wouldn't it be great for us to be able to have that kind of wisdom, to be able to see the hand of God even in the things that we go through and suffer? The Lord is righteous. So verse 1 through 4 is is a statement. The righteous suffer, yet they will prevail. But then verses 5 through 8 is another statement about the wicked. The wicked will seemingly thrive, but they are ultimately destroyed. Let's look at Look at verse 5. Let all those who hate Zion be put to shame and turned back. Let all those that hate Zion be put to shame and turned back. There's a picture here to the defeat of the wicked. They will be defeated. It says in verse 5, those who hated Jerusalem, you could say it this way, Zion is a reference to Jerusalem. It's a reference to God's house. It's a reference to church. Those who hate the church, you could say, they will be put to shame and they will turn back. If you think about a a military endeavor and the soldiers are attacking, when they are defeated, they are shamed and they're turned around and they march the other way. They retreat away. The word they will turn back here is the word that's sometimes translated in Scripture, repent. Have you ever heard that word, repent, defined in church? They always like to talk about it. It's to turn around and go the other direction. And so there's this picture of your enemies being defeated. They will be ashamed and they'll be turned around and and go the other direction away from you. Verse 6 says not only will they be defeated, but we will ask God for their death. Look at verse 6. Let them be as grass on the housetops which withers before it grows up and so in their day they would have had like a a mud top roof and there would have been grass growing on top and so if you can picture grass that comes up really green you may have some of this this time of year if you plant some rye in your yard it comes up really green it looks like it's going to be beautiful good grass but the moment the sun comes out it bakes it and it dies and it goes away It's it's gone as fast as it was there. It says in verse 6, it withers before it grows up. It's a picture of death. It looks green right now, but it's dying. The wicked look like they're winning now, but they're dying. They look like they're growing now, but they're dying. And I, I studied this week the, the, uh, the gathering in of the harvest, the grain harvest. And you know how they would uh, just that thing is called winnow, the wheat, and they'd throw it up in the air in the old days and let the wind blow the, what's called the chaff, the, just the junk, it would just blow it away. And the seeds, or the grain, because it's heavier, it falls right back into the bowl. And so they throw it and they catch it, and the chaff, the, 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 the things that aren't valuable, just blow off into the air, into oblivion. And the seed, the grain, comes back in the bowl. And they do this over and over until you look at it and it's pure seed. There's no mixture of any trash or stubble or anything in that seed. It's pure. That's what God's doing with the wicked. They seem so prevalent in your life today. But just like the grass grows and then it's gone, it withers, you can't even see it anymore. You can't even find it anymore. It can't even be found. If you're here today and you've had somebody come against you in a in a hateful hatred way like this, at some point in your life you will remember them, but you won't be able to find them. Stop. So I want you to let that sink in. There'll come a time in your life you will remember what they did to you, but you will not be able to find them. They'll be like that, just going away of the chaff. It just disappears and it can't be found anymore. It's a picture of death. Look at verse 7. It shows us this disappearance. It says, With which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor he who binds sheaves fill his arms. Literally, once it's blown away, the reaper, the harvester, this would be a picture of God here, he, he don't even see it now. It's not even a substance any longer. He will not gather it in his hands, and he will not carry it in his arms. That's the picture. It's so dissipated and so blown away that the reaper now will not gather it in his hands or in his arms. It has disappeared. And then verse 8 shows us the final thing that happens to the wicked is they find no honor. There's dishonor in their life. Look at verse 8. Neither let those who pass by them say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. And then they cry, we bless you in the name of the Lord. They're crying out back to God. They say, they say they'll have such dishonor, nobody even walking by would say, Lord bless you. It would have been a common phrase back then for somebody when they greeted another person as they walked by to say, the Lord bless you. We see a glimpse of this in the book of Ruth. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 4, when Boaz comes home and is walking through his garden, the Bible says this, he looks over and sees the reapers there, and he says, Boaz says, the Lord be with you. And they answered Boaz and said, the Lord bless you also. It was just a common courtesy to wish well upon people. And what he says is, these people who come against you, these wicked people, they will receive such dishonor, nobody will be saying, Lord bless you. Nobody will be wanting or praying or wishing for the blessing of the Lord upon this person. The, the truth is, wicked people do not care about the blessing of God. Wicked people do not care about the blessing of God. They care about what they can get, what they can take, what they can steal, what harm they can do. There's a selfish internalization of everything they do, and they They can justify everything they do by their own selfishness. But they're not crying out for the blessing of God upon their life. Wicked people do not care about that. I want you to know, I care about the blessing of God. Very much so. You could possibly argue that it is the one most important thing in our lives. The blessing of God. You remember the story from the Old Testament. We learned this early in the Bible. Esau did not care about the blessing of God, and Jacob did care about the blessing of God. Esau, in a moment, would trade his blessing for a bowl of soup. His belly was growling, he was hungry, may have been cold, and he wanted a bowl of soup. Sure, I'll give you the blessing of God for a bowl of soup. Give it to me. And Jacob's like. I'll give you whatever I got if I can get that blessing. You See the difference? As a Christian man or woman, to desire the blessing of God is righteous. I want the blessing of God. I hope you want the blessing of God. I would even say it this way. Do you cry out for the blessing of God? How important do you think that is? I think it's so important that about two years ago I preached a whole series on it. You remember it from Numbers chapter 6 verse 24 through 26. We went through all these things things about God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you. And the Lord give you peace. It's very important to me. During that series, Deanna and Andrew gave us a huge picture that has this on it, and we have it now posted up in our our house. We've been in our house. We don't hang a lot of stuff on the walls. We're we're just not like that. But we have this massive... uh, Phrase Bible verse on our wall. Why. why? Because we care about the blessing of God. Even in your suffering, even when you're going through hardship, what do you need? You need the blessing of God more than anything. Wicked people don't care about that. It doesn't mean anything to them. Let's go into application. I'm doing an application a little bit different today. I have three questions for you, and at the end of each question we're gonna have a prayer. So we're gonna have like three invitations, all right? <laughs> Number one, do you see your enemies here? As we read this psalm or sing this Psalm 129, could you, as we went through it, see your enemies? Could you see them being defeated and destroyed and disappearing and dying? and finding no honor. Because that's what the Bible's talking about. It's not wrong for you to see your enemies here. As a matter of fact, it may be very refreshing. It might even be helpful in your endurance through this season of suffering you're going through as you see your enemies here. I read you a different one of these psalms when we started. There's several of these. I call them impregatory psalms. They are psalms which call on God to deal with your enemies, which are almost like a prayer. They're praying and saying, Oh God, if you are God, deal with my enemies. And it calls down very strong and harsh things against them in the name of God. Let me give you a list of these songs if you want to go and read them, these imprecatory songs. If you want to write them down, it's Psalms 7, 35, 55, 58, 59, 69, 79, 109, 137, 139, and 40. I mean, 140 also, not 40, but 140. I want to read you an excerpt from Psalm 69. Again, this is a different one of these, imprecatory psalms. I'm just going to read part of it. I want you to hear how strong this language is. Psalm 69, I'm going to start in verse 22. Let their table become a snare before them, and their well-being a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see, and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their dwelling place be desolate. Let Let no one live in their tents, for they persecute the ones you have struck and talk of grief of those you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me upon high. I want to say to you, if you're going through some kind of persecution like this, when your enemies have come against you, to the degree that you would look up one of these psalms and read it as a prayer unto God. I do not think that would be wrong, but I do think you need to be cautious when you do it because it is a scary thing. If you've ever watched somebody literally fall into the hands of a living God, it is a scary thing. I've never told you things that i actually seen happen, like describe them to you, but I have told you on several occasions I have so seen God, I think, deal with the enemies of His church and the enemies of His kingdom. I've so seen Him deal with them before that when I would pray before God after seeing what God had done, I would shake. I would tremble before God because the, the, the power of God to come against anybody who would come against His bride is a strong power. So be mindful of it. I'm going to lead you in prayer. If you bow your heads here about your enemies, Do you see your enemies here, If you would be so honest before we begin to pray, and I want you to pray with me, is to say, I do see my enemies here, and I want to include them in this prayer we're about to pray. Would you just lift your hand real quick and and just put it right back down. If you say, I'm that honest. I'm dealing with some enemies like this. Thank you. Lord, we give you our enemies today. We, We are somewhat timid, it seems, sometimes to pray this strongly for our enemies, but we know that it's in your Word, and we pray, Lord, that you would bring their efforts to destroy us to no good. Help us to stand strong in the midst of persecution and hardship that we have gone through. Help us to be able to see Your salvation, to see Your mighty hand upon our life. Help us to be able to know Your presence in our life and Your power in our life, and not to be afraid of this person or people who have persecuted us. Help us to, help us to have no fear before them. Help us to have no shame before them, Lord, in all that they've said or all that they've done to us. Help us to be strong in You, Lord, and to trust You and to trust Your vengeance upon their life. We do not have to take measures into our hands, Lord. We know that. And so today, we willingly choose to forgive them and lay them at Your feet and ask You to deal with them in Your way, in Your time, in your own choosing, because we trust you, Lord. We lay our enemies at your feet today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Number two, in application. Do you see your sin here? Can you see sin as we're as we're reading about this? Look back at verse 3. As the plowers plowed my back and they made their furrows long. I have seen so many people where sin destroys you just like the whip has destroyed the back of the slave. Sin has destroyed people's lives. Sin has caused people to do things that have literally ruined their life. Ruined their marriage. Ruined the perspective from their children. You say, John, being a pastor, what's, what's hurt you the most? What's been the hardest thing you've ever dealt with? Over and over. It is seeing what sin does to people. It is by far the worst thing to see. What sin does to homes, what sin does to children, what sin does to families. I have sit with so many different families and see people cry profusely because somebody they love has sinned against the living God. I've sit with families who not only have cried, but families who have been so angry. The Bible word that the Bible uses in anger towards sin is this is a Bible word, not my word. Is the word fury. I've sinned with wives with fury towards their husbands because of what they've done. Men with fury towards their wives because of what they've done. sin causes the depths of sorrow and weeping and tears to be shed. And sin also causes the greatest of anger and the greatest of fury. There's an old uh, gospel song. Some of you may have heard it. It's sung often by quartets. It says, Sin takes you further than you want to go, costs you more than you want to pay, and keeps you longer than you want to stay. You cannot live in sin and be happy. You cannot live in sin and be strong. You cannot live in sin and fake this Christian way. How many times do you meet somebody who's a Christian and they seem to just be off a little bit and, and they seem to not be happy or not be doing okay and you, you, you don't know of anything they're going through and they maybe even treat you different. I think this happens a lot of times in churches. Somebody comes to church and. Somebody who's normally greets you and, hey, and talks to you, they don't sort of give you the time of day, and you, you go away saying, they must be mad at me. They must not like me. And I've learned as a pastor over the years that sometimes the reason they act that way is because they're living in sin, and they're consumed by guilt, and they're eat up with shame, and they don't have the confidence to fake their little Christian ditties anymore. You ever think like that? Why instead thinking, why does he treat me like that? Is he mad at me? Maybe they're struggling with some sin. We must hate it. We must want to kill it. And I would say to you, if that's where God brings you to today, you better kill it today because you don't know what condition you might be in tomorrow and you might embrace it. I have this document that I keep in my office found it years ago. I think somebody wrote it in the 1800s. I don't remember who at this point, but it's it's 35 Reasons Not to Sin. I was going to read it. I'm not going to read it. It's really bold. But it's 35 Reasons Not to Sin. If anybody wants it, you can come up to me afterwards. I'll give it to you. I'll get some more copies. I could give you so many reasons not to to sin. Did you see sin when we read this? Look at verse 4. But the Lord is righteous. He has broken in pieces the cords of wickedness. He has set me free. But the Lord is righteous. I can look backwards and see my sin, and as, as soon as I do, I would have to declare, but the Lord is righteous. He has set me free over and over again, took me back in, took me back in to know His presence and know His touch. I thank God that He sets me free like that from my sins. I often, think that we as Christians were like we're like POWs, prisoners of war. There's a verse that says this in Romans. Romans chapter 7, verse 24 to 25. It says, He will deliver me from this body of death. I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. In other words, I'm dying. I'm in this body of death. My hope is only in Jesus Christ, my Lord. We're like a POW. We're like a prisoner of war caught somewhere behind any new lines. Living in a place that's not our home. Living somewhere that's not in our nature. Living somewhere that we don't want to be. And we just need Jesus to get us out. Come get me, Lord. Come deliver me from this bondage that I'm in. And this psalm declares... Almighty God, through Jesus Christ, will set you free. I want to invite you to another invitation. We're going to pray. You pray with me here, our right? Heads are bowed, or eyes are closed. If you're here today and you say, when I read this, I can see my sin. Would you just lift your hand real quick and just be honest about it. I can see it. Put it back down. And then would you join with me in this prayer. Father, we give you our sin. We lay it at your feet today. We pray that you would take it away from us. It has for too long plowed up our lives plowed up my life Lord done such harm and oh how much more harm it could have done how much more harm it could do the days ahead if I'm caught if I'm found out if I'm seen to be the kind of wicked heart that often lives within inside of me Lord, it has caused far enough damage. It has took me further than I want to go, kept me longer than I want to stay, and cost me more than I want to pay. And so today, I praise God that Jesus Christ is righteous and He has come to set me free. And I pray today, Lord, that You had set me free from the bondage of sin let me not walk there anymore. Let me not be tempted to live there anymore. I'm tired of being beat down and worn down by sin's captivity. I want to strive in Jesus' name and be strong in You and be the husband You want me to be and the father You want me to be and the person You want me to be because Jesus has set me free from these sins. We lay them at Your feet today, Lord, and ask You to take all our sins away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Number three, do you see Jesus here? When we read through this song about the plower's back being plowed and being whipped and beaten and his hands being tied by the cords that would hold him, do you see Jesus here? Because his back was plowed, and his hands were tied. I'm going to read to you a litany of scriptures about Jesus. First of all, from Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we did not esteem him surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and here's our word from our passage and afflicted he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. Only like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so He opened not His mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who would declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, no, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Do you hear those verses right there? He came and identified with the wicked in Psalm 129. He became like the wicked who are going to be defeated, who are going to die, who are going to disappear, who are going to be dishonored. All those things were done to Jesus. You know why? Because we're the wicked. We were the wicked, and He did this for us. Keep reading. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He has put Him to grief. When you make His soul an offering for sin, He shall see His seed and shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Matthew 27, verse 28 and 29. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Matthew 27, verse 46. And in the ninth hour, as Jesus was hanging there on the cross, he cried out with a loud voice and said, "Eli, lama That is to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You were the wicked. His back was plowed. His cords were holding him on that cross. And he did it so he could move you from being the wicked to being his own children, his own sons and daughters. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You now approach Jesus because Jesus took you as the wicked and made you righteous sons and daughters of God. Do you see Jesus here? If you would, would you pray with me? If you could say, I see Jesus here and what He's done in my life and doing in my life, just raise your hand real quick. Put it right back down. I'm trying to get you to identify with the movements of this song. Father, we see Jesus here. We see Him here, Lord. By His stripes we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. Lord, we need Jesus. And we pray, we pray, Father, that we would keep our eyes on Jesus and give glory to Jesus and praise His name because He has done so much for us when we have been so wicked. We need Jesus today. Lord, help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Would you stand with us?